It's gonna take more than yeah, there it is. Yeah, you go <laughs> What'd you get the Patreon thing? No. Oh. Nah, I'm stupid pinch of rest assassin. <laughs> no, I'm no shit. Yeah. Welcome to Story Hour. You know. The... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Story Hour, kids. All right, guys. Come on, Barbie. Let's go party. All right. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Okay, ready? Hi, everybody. This is Powerful Brandon, and you are listening to this week's episode of Comics Paradox, the podcast in which we discuss all things alternate reality. We go over Elseworlds from DC Comics, what ifs from Marvel, uh, as well as all kinds of different alternative takes on stories and characters you may already know and love from either one of those companies, such as Age of Apocalypse and X-Men, uh, or even Armageddon 2001, or from DC, or Amalgam Comics, which we covered uh, several issues of over the couple of podcasts that we do. Uh, joining me tonight, as ever, to find individuals, we'll start off with uh, Justin Coop Cooper. How's it going, Justin? Good, good. How you doing? I'm I'm here, man. So make of that what you will. <laughs> All right. And Mr. Leo Pond. How's it going, Leo? It's going. It's going. You could have called us Ken, you know. It's, it's, it's... <laughs> yeah, but but Barbie is the one who confirms that we are going to part. Listen, Leo, I don't have time to explain <laughs> the fucking nuance of Aqua's Barbie Girl song to you. Okay. It is nuanced. Oh, yeah, so much (laughs) nuance. Um. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Kids, it's time to check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. With over 30 podcasts that encompass everything from horror to video games to comic books, and so much more, you're bound to find the shows for your taste. Whether it be Nerds of Unusual Origin, That Strange Show, Retro Red Octopus, Splash Pages, Throwdown Thursday, The Horror Squad, Still Token with... My God, man, I can't read all of these. So just feel free to play and experiment with the Dork Eating Podcast Network. There are over 30 shows chock full of dirty goodness to sink your ears into. And they're all available on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are broadcast. Nice try. 
this sucks. Uh, well, clearly I had my finger on the pulse here and I did not act quick enough. I've been keeping an eye on uh, 1987's Captain Adam number one and the selling prices for it, uh, CGC graded for like 9.6 and higher, have jumped up like fucking 200% in the past like three weeks since I looked it up. I think there's a lot of people out there who probably had some of the same thoughts I have recently. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, James Gunn is jumping in and doing his thing with, you know, creatively alongside Peter Safran for the DCU. Um, do we know where Captain Adam came from originally? Charlton. Like, that's right. Have we seen any other Charlton characters? pop up in the past two, maybe three years in any projects? You, you mean like specifically uh, like Ted Cord the Blue Beetle or? That would certainly be like, you know, we have a Blue Beetle movie coming out. Yeah. And they just had a series like that ended last year. So. But more specifically, like gearing towards like what they're doing big time for DCU, uh, this DC studio stuff, um, Peacemaker also. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's who they based the comedian on. Yeah. Yeah. And Judo Master in Peacemaker, also mm -hmm. a Charlton character. Actually, if you watch Peacemaker, if you rewatch it at the very end when Leota gives her um, statement to the press, it's charlton action news five that's oh, yeah. co covering it yes and that's because dc comics purchased the charlton action heroes which were you know peter cannon thunderbolt uh which actually technically it turns out no they they didn't because somebody else owns the rights but um captain adam like the original captain adam uh blue beetle uh, Peacemaker, um, the question, the question. Thank you. I'm going through. Uh, oh my god, I can't remember who. Uh, Nightshade or something. Nightshade, yeah, yeah. Nightshade. That's what it is. Um, yeah. So it like, she was Silk Spectre, <clears throat> but I was like, yeah, I've never read a Nightshade comic in my life. You know, but like, that's the thing is, um, I'm I'm noticing that. James Gunn has, I mean, I, I've always known that he has a predilection towards like the second, third, fourth tier because there's less expectations of them. There's, there's not as much known. So you can play around with it a little bit more, which is, which is good. I would have um, loved to have seen him handle uh, Shazam, like with those characters, with the same actors and all that. Cause I like the second movie, you know, I, but I think it's like, could they do more with it? Yeah. You know, take him into the magic verse or whatever you want to do with that. Yeah, honestly, like for myself, um, I I I get that they were using the Jeff Johns comic book that came out a few years back as like the springboard for that. That's fine. Um, but personally, for me, I I kind of really as even in the movie, especially like 
I really wish that there had been a little bit more of a connection for the wizard to Billy. Like there wasn't like the power of Shazam by Jerry Ordway and stuff where, you know, CC Beck and his wife were both archeologists and they were murdered when they found the tomb that basically frees Teth Adam uh, and awakens the wizard to the to the realization that oh shit i need to pick like a new champion and through the the tragic deaths of those two people the wizards like kind of zeroes in on their this orphaned kid uh and by the end of like the first story like it's like oh yeah no like you have a there's a sister out there too you sort of like a empire strikes back like oh there's another mm-hmm. um but like i feel like it would have been I, – I understand that you don't always need to have somebody's parents die to make them a superhero, you know? And it, it was heart-wrenching to see how Billy was just abandoned yeah. in that movie. Um, so it is, it is different for sure. I just, I, I, I just wish that there had a little, been a little bit more like even the wizard being a little bit more of a bastard like – maybe he manipulated it a bit because he knew that he was going to need Billy like to build up enough character essentially by having this happen to him that would enable him to be the champion like that kind of thing like just like little stuff that should have weaved through and and connected stuff overall and I could have done as much as I love uh like the kids that that are in the family and everything I really would have preferred it to be like kind of pared down a little bit more to maybe just like Billy, Freddie and Mary. Uh, Cause I, I think, I think especially with the you amount of power, a little bit. Yeah. The amount yeah. of power that the character has, um, you know, it's just like, that is, that is overextension to a T. Uh, Here's I, the question too, with, with Shazam <laughs> and all that and, and Adam and the wizard and all that. Why wouldn't the Liz, the wizard look out and see Superman and be like, oh, there is a champion. You know, I don't need to step in. Well, probably because of Adam. That he wouldn't give somebody with the power of Superman. The abilities of the champion on top of it. <clears throat> oh, no, I, I was saying not give him power, but just just realize that there is someone there who has the, the power to fight him. Oh yeah, well, that's that's tricky because, in all honesty, like push comes to shove, Superman can't stand up to Black Adam or Shazam because magic trumps anything Superman can do. Like he's vulnerable to it. They would mollywop his ass. I mean, that was one of. I'm just thinking. I'm like, I've seen numerous times in which you know, like they've fought each other and stuff like that, and I've also seen times where you know they've teamed up on Black Adam. You know, like in the DC animated where they they had that. It was uh, Superman versus Black Adam. So yeah. there's that, and you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, I don't really base my opinion of anything like for characters overall on like the animation for stuff. Uh, but going going very far back as a kid, I mean, I remember reading Superman versus Shazam and like straight up 
like in in that comic, like in the seventies, the oversized deal. Superman himself was like, "Oh, this this dude could could really kick my ass." Because, <clears throat> funny enough, Billy takes a page out of Black Adam's book while he's fighting Superman. Like he specifically thinks it to himself. He's like, "I'm gonna do to Superman what Black Adams did to me, like however long ago," and he says the magic word and immediately flies away at the speed of light. Yep. As Superman's chasing after him and the fucking lightning comes down and hits Superman and it's magic lightning and it jacks him up. Yeah, he he did that in Kingdom Come <laughs> as well, you know. Yeah. That's why I mean, that's why at the end of the day he uh you know put his uh, hand around his mouth and and they're like with a uh, a grip that could uh, bend steel or something like that. He holds him, you know, uh, so he can't say anything. That yeah, because it was so important. You know? Yeah, because he, he well, he got him just as he said the word and turned back into Billy. So he grabbed him by the mouth while he could because he could hurt Billy if need be. He couldn't do anything to Captain Marvel, and that's when he gives him the speech. Like, I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. I'm not a god, but Billy, you've been both. You're more qualified to make this decision than anybody else. And that's when Billy says the word one last time. Well, I shouldn't say one last time. He says one more time, becomes Captain Marvel, flies up, goes to the the warhead, and says the word three times and uses the magic lightning to destroy the warhead over where everyone is, and it still ends up you know, laying waste to the entire area all around the gulag. I just like to point out for posterity that uh, <laughs> Batman had already taken care of two of them. So, <laughs> but yeah, he didn't get the third one though, did he? <laughs> He's only one man, <laughs> <laughs> but with enough prep time. Yeah. yeah. Yes, with enough prep time, even you can fly through space for 12 hours and I, then sail through the atmosphere and land on the Earth unscathed. I'm hey, going to show you, had, fellas. He had his uh, underwear. I know I said I wasn't going to, but um, yeah. I oh, nice. Oh, wow. So he's got the wings and all that. That's awesome. This is the Kingdom Come, for everyone listening, <laughs> the Kingdom Come Batman, you know, from McFarland. It's, it's pretty oh, big. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So just in comparison to the previous one, the one uh, from the, the DC, DC direct stuff, direct one, like the size difference that they have. Oh yeah. Wow. The wings do come out on this one as well. And he's got like a Lance. Oh, so, you know, pretty interesting. Cool. I kind of like the DC direct one a little bit more. I, I do as well. Um, I'll tell you the face sculpt and like the, the body sculpt on this one is, is a bit more detailed. It's pretty cool. I, I wasn't sure I was going to like it, but I do. So, but uh, yeah, this one's like, it's like a direct Alex Ross. Yeah. So it's just, That's this awesome. one is kind of put together more modernly. So yeah, I'd say so. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I oh. am Batman. And uh, that was the uh, new NECA turtle figures you got, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Hold on. Those? Oh, my. Oh, very cool. Wait, which one's which? They're all wearing red. I'm so confused. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
they actually have their individual um uh in, individual uh letters for their their names underneath the head if you pop the head off <laughs> that makes sense so, yeah i i didn't know either i found it online and i'm like oh okay that's kind of cool but one of them comes with like a like a cowl like uh, Raphael comes with a cowl based on one of the storylines it was um, from escape from new york or return i think it was return to new york this one but um so it, it's i mean they're the the most comic accurate versions that have come out yet so it's really cool neat and uh where'd you get those uh target had them target yep and they're what, uh 150 uh, i believe so yes okay Six hundred dollars for four Ninja Turtles? No, no sir. <laughs> no, sir. Did I do, did I do the math right on that? No, no, no that's, no, no. that's what, the all-in price. Yeah, it's a set. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank God. Yeah. I was like, Justin, dude. Like, I <laughs> no, don't the, want to tell anybody how to spend my money, but bro, Mescos. There's a like, set your, of Mescos. Your wife is going to murder out. you. I know. Like, <laughs> no, no. Um, like. The, the day is gonna come soon bucks. where I'm gonna I'm gonna have to turn to Dara and be like, "Listen, I I gotta fly out to West Chicago because <laughs> he's dead." <laughs> Why? Justin's dead, and we have to attend his wake and funeral. Oh my god, what happened? He just he bought he bought too many Ninja Turtles, and and Sarah killed him. Oh my god, like how? With one of the Ninja Turtles. Was it Raphael? No, funny enough, it was Michelangelo, the most chill of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, the most chill. <laughs> he was staked through the heart with a steak of holly. <laughs> it's like Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> the spirits have done it all in one night. So you're saying uh, Mezco set is coming out? Yeah, it's uh, 400 bucks. So it, it costs the same as that Fantastic Four or four pack, but it's um, it's coming out in August and it's it's all um, like the four turtles and it's the 112s. So oh wow, that's supposed to be a, a, like really detailed and all that. So that's gonna be pretty cool. I have I have a Mezco Batman and the Cyclops and uh, Daredevil. And I mean, it's, it's a thing, you know, it's like, they're not like a Barbie doll, I, I won't say, but they're like the old Migos, but like, they, they have like detailed everything. So if you want like something that's like, well, this has like a cloth cape or this one has like a, like an actual leather outfit on it. And you know, it's the closest you can get to having something that's like museum quality. So, you know, um, I'm not down for that price tag though. Just saying. Yeah. I I kind of like that look of, and I know we need to start, but you know, that look at a figure, you know, the newer figures with like all the joints and everything. I, I just can't get into that. You, you did get the, uh, the flash series, right? Like that, that one with the, the Michael Keaton Batman. Oh, I got, yeah. The, yeah. I have not even seen him in the store. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, this was a pre-order. I think I got it from GameStop. Oh, nice. Yeah, but I, I'm with you. Like, there's a lot of issues with the articulation, but I mean, if you remember the late '90s, early 2000s with like the Marvel Legends stuff, yeah. looks so much better now than it did then, you know. And it, it's just like with with anything like an action figure wise, it's just going to continue to evolve, and we'll get the yeah. newest and the best and the brightest and all that. They they just came up with a with a hush um, version of Superman, which looks amazing, you know. Oh wow. 
So that's another. Jim Lee does a pretty good Superman, so basing it off of that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they did. They they released the uh, the Superman and the Batman, and the Superman actually comes with like some poison ivy uh, vines. Oh wow! So that's kind of fun. There well, there man. is there is a Hush Batman statue that I think Walmart has. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's not it's not that much. It's like forty seven. That's cool. Yeah. You hear that there's an actress who uh, said that they would love to play poison ivy in the dcu no who's this karen gillen oh yeah okay that makes sense yeah i yeah. have i would have zero issues with her playing poison ivy like real poison ivy not i hear she knows someone at dc you think who <laughs> I think it's Peter Safran. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really intrigued as to what character it is that Palm Clementi has talked about with James Gunn. Like that's that's what I'm I want to know because like reasonably so. I mean, she has to be like I can't say anything because like it's just it's all really early and you know we have to see how everything goes this way and that you know. But yeah, there's a character reboot Harley Quinn. Do you? With Palm Clementif as Harley Quinn? Yeah. No. No. I don't okay. see. She's Margo. a little. I, I'm not, and I'm not saying that to be a jerk. She's just a little too French to play the role. You know. Bring out Crimson it, Fox. <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the accent that I think would make it very difficult for her to play Harley Quinn. I think that you were you were on it before when we were talking about uh, Tora Orndorff, uh Ice. Yeah, I, I think that that's like a really good one where it's like that could happen. So we, we I be wouldn't be that. so. The more I've been thinking about it, the more I, I feel like I feel like Ice would probably be the way to go, especially because like she usually has her hair dyed blonde. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I I think that I think that would be, you know, she. I mean. She sounds European enough to get away with like playing in, you know, Icelandic person, but you know, it's I'm once again, I don't know for a fact. Uh, so as accurate as our speculation could end up being, uh, I still am, uh, it's just really frying my fucking egg. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna what? build off of what you were saying. How about Stephanie Beatrice for Beatrice da Costa for fire? Oh man, I. I would love to see that, man. I honestly, I think, I think that would be great. Yeah. What were you, what were you saying there, Leo? Uh, what about Talia for Palm? Oh. Because aren't they, aren't they going to do have her, uh, have her play a femme fatale? That yeah. is unexpectedly oh. cool. Well, I like, I like where, I like what you're cooking there, Leo. Well, I mean, Episode over. I'm done. I got nothing yeah, else I mean, to say. What more is there to say? It's Fuck, like you that, figured I it out. <laughs> I can't believe I that didn't. Jesus Christ! I'm slipping in my old age here. What the fuck? That should have occurred to me. Damn it! Oh, Andy Muschietti is going to be Brave and the Bold's director, though, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. You know, uh, I I I I think. I'm very happy for him. I mean, considering that he, he came from the world of horror and he jumped in and made a humongous hit in the horror genre for Warner Brothers. And that's what 
allowed him to throw his hat into the ring to do the flash. And now with having done the flash, he's being given the opportunity to do the next, the DCU Batman, which, you know, we're, we're going to see what we've been seeing essentially in the comic books for the past, what, 10, 12 years. So that, I mean, good for him, man, considering this is a guy like I was first made aware of him because I saw the movie mama, you know, I was like, Oh mama. All right. So Andre Mushi Mushietti, <laughs> like who the fuck is this dude? And uh, that's actually, you know, that's how I uh, learned who Jessica Chastain was. That's how I learned who uh, Nikolai Walder Costa was. Oh, okay. Yeah, he. Uh, and, and that's the thing. It's like when I saw him in Game of Thrones, I was it was I was so frustrated because like, why the fuck does this guy look so familiar? In the movie Mama, he plays identical twins, one of whom dies at the beginning, uh, but he wears glasses and has dyed brown hair. Like he's dark hair the entire movie. So he looks completely different from how you would recognize him from Game of Thrones. Um, who, was, who was he in Game of Thrones? Uh, he was Lannister, uh, Jamie Lannister. Jamie oh, Lannister. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it, in, it's really cool to see Andy Muschietti, Muschietti, um, like he clearly is close with and still gets along with the folks from the movie Mama, uh, because Jessica Chastain he was able to cast as the adult Beverly in It Chapter Two, and um, this is not a spoiler, but if you keep your eyes peeled, because I noticed it in the theater, uh, and uh, you know, apologies to my wife for having to sit next to ADH me during <laughs> movies. But uh, Nicolaj Walder Costow has an uncredited cameo in The Flash. I, I saw him right away, and I was, I was like, son of a bitch! That was... Really? Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, this isn't a spoiler, uh, so I'll tell you. It kind of is, but that's oh, fine. Oh, well, <laughs> I, it's not... It, it, it's inconsequential. It really is. It, it, it has... It, it's a blink, and you miss it, like he's there and gone in a flash sorry um he's the flash steals a pizza pizza out of his hand oh oh oh, oh. yes yes yeah that's that's nikolai's walder costal from game of thrones i did i didn't know that uh andy oh, was... was the producer for lock and key as well is he that's what it says. Executive producer for Lock and Key on Netflix. I thought well, Andy that's was not the guy some... with the pizza. Nope. That's a different character. Okay. And you're thinking of hot dog. Oh, hot dog. Yes. Okay. Aha! <laughs> See, I didn't give it away. <laughs> still, it's not consequential, but still but, give it away. But which hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> the last one. The last one. Is it the last one? The final hot dog. It's the final hot dog. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, I'm thinking of burrito. So did he only do Mama, It, 1 and 2, and um, Chapters 1 and 2 in Flash for directing? Uh, In America, 
Oh, okay. Because I'm looking at IMDb and I'm not seeing a bunch. Yeah, I mean, he's directed like seven or eight different things, but you you have to remember, like, he's he's done other stuff. Um, back, you know, back in like Argentina, where he's from. I, I from would give him yeah. every award for casting young Eddie um, and um, old Eddie in it because mwah, perfect casting. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> that was. Like... If you did nothing else in that movie, that was spot on perfect. <laughs> yeah, um, was it uh, Jack Dylan Glazer? Yeah, and uh, oh, what's his face from uh, uh, Sinister? He played the cop. Shit. Yeah, have you guys seen Sinister? No, Ethan, actually, Ethan I, I've oh. been told to see it, but I haven't. It's a yeah. I mean, it, it's actually really good. Um, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, it's one of those things. Oh, let me see here. What's his name? Oh, yeah, James Ransom. That's what it is. Or Ransone, whatever. But yeah, that that was that was absolutely brilliant casting. Um, I still think they they dropped the ball. I, I, as much as I like James McAvoy, um, having been a fan of the book and having read it so many times, I the character of Bill Dembro, um, he started losing his hair when he was in college, uh, and so he's got a completely bald pate by the time that they're all adults, and he he's tall. He's taller than everyone. Taller than um, Ben. Tall, yeah, he he is like he is Big Bill like through and through. Like he he grew to be like he's basically Stephen King. He's like six foot four. Um, friggin' the perfect person, and and honestly, I think uh, temperament wise too. Like he would have he would have acted the hell out of it. The I think the best person to play Bill Dembro in it Chapter Two would have been Corey Stoll. He was the right age, Corey Stoll. Um. You ever see the strain, Ant Man? Seen Ant Man. Oh wait, Modok. Yeah, him. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't go based off of Ant Man and shit, but that's the only thing I know him from. Yeah, well, I mean, he he's 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 in the movie like This Is Where I Leave You. Um, he's he's on the show The Strain that was on FX FX. It's, it's a in vampire. my queue. I was literally gonna watch it last week. So. Yeah. Um. It's it's a it's a good one for the most part. Like. There's like one character in the entire show I could really fucking do without, but, um, yeah, like he, he, he is exactly how Bill Dembro is supposed to be, and like James McAvoy is just like a bit more of a known name, but otherwise, if you were to read the book and like look at the physical description of Bill and you think about like the way he sounds and how he has like a little bit more of a, an actual like physical presence that's uh that's Corey Stoll far more than James McAvoy. James McAvoy is like my fucking size. He's my height with like the same color blue eyes I have but with a full head of hair. So he's a famous millionaire actor and I am I am talking about James McAvoy on a <laughs> guest. <laughs> so, you know, make of that what you will. His dark materials with <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda, bringing it all back to the fact that he's the worst singer in Hamilton. Holy crap. (laughs) We did it, kids. (laughs) 
All right. So uh let's let's do this. We'll we'll buzz through. Um everyone thinks because you're a zombie you don't know good coffee. Well they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. But yes, to, today we are we are discussing uh, an Elseworlds annual. Uh, this one in particular is uh, Superman in Action Comics Annual Number Six. Um, it is uh, written and illustrated by John Byrne. Uh, the cover was drawn by uh, Mike Mignola of uh, Hellboy fame. We've covered uh, an issue of Superman back at, from 1987. I believe it was Superman 23 uh, that John Byrne wrote and Mike Mignola illustrated in which uh, Superman goes back to where Krypton was with the aid of Hawkman and Hawkwoman in Hawkman's Hawk ship. The fucking 80s were the worst. And... Um, they he goes out in like a lead polymer sprayed hawk spacesuit and uh he has like a bit of a fever dream because of his proximity to the the radiation all the the lethal radiation to kryptonite turns out there's a giant mass of kryptonite being pulled back to the gravity of where krypton was and it will still take billions of years for that to form into an actual planet again um but the fever dream is sort of an alternate reality that uh, Clark sees pan out with uh, it having uh, Jor-El convince the Science Council on Krypton to let everybody go. Uh, and, and that was a lot of fun. I didn't realize until we had done the episode that uh, I had been well aware of Mike Mignola for most of my life. Because <laughs> I know, that, right? That was one of the, that was one of like my earlier comics i mean it came out in 1987 so i was five years old when that was given to me when it came out on newsstands i still have it um i still remember the front of it you know return to krypton like a fun logo done in like the lower right hand corner of it um and little did i know that as i was reading hellboy that this guy was one of the two people responsible for one of the books that like pushed me towards alternate reality stories you know so like this this feels this feels right um but elseworlds they they did a, a cool thing in dc in like 1996 i think um where or 94 94 where every annual throughout the dc line that year was an elseworld so uh you have a, a whole bunch of alternate takes on a, a bunch of different characters um that you normally wouldn't get uh otherwise uh we'll we'll cover those uh, as time goes on because there is a bunch of them thankfully uh plenty of fodder uh one of them some of them are great some of them are not and some of them are just like so weird that you want to call them great but weird is probably just the best descriptor you could give them 
there was even like a two-parter that was spread out between the adventures of superman annual and then finished up in the superboy annual so like they they even had some connectivity between them as as the year went on uh this one's an interesting one though uh we see here on the cover that uh it it looks to be the time of uh, the revolutionary war in uh what what it was what was to be america the united states of america uh and there is a gentleman dressed in uh you know colonial fancy colonial garb with a uh, an s a superman s insignia on his uh frilly bib type deal on the front of him and uh he is floating above a pile of likely dead colonial soldier bodies the rebels as it were and uh he is tearing the colony's flag directly in half and that would be the one of the first uh u.s flags the the circle of stars in the blue field with the red and white stripes i don't know if it's 13 red and white stripes or not or not but the betsy um, ross flag basically right yes and uh i mean that right there i mean it's definitely already in the cover telling a, a story with the picture like oh okay so superman is clearly on the side of the brits somehow in the revolutionary war it is 13 stripes by the way i just counted Mm-hmm. All right, cool beans. Well, good for good for uh, Mikey Miggs there. He 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 did his due diligence. Um, but yeah, so we 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 hop in and we uh see that Muggsy Bogues, Muggsy Bogues. Oh my, wow! I like when you go back to like older comics and you're like, wow, bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Remember that candy? Car, car. Oh, oh. <laughs> my god! Yeah, where they drop stuff on people's heads in the commercials. Yeah. How many? How many focus groups do you think they had to have um, at like General Mills before they realized that they had to call the fruit snacks gushers instead of squirters? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing back then? I don't know. <laughs> Beats me, pal um but yeah so we we open it up and we see a green glowing planet exploding with uh a rocket well i don't want to say a rocket a ship rocketing away from it that's better and you know we we know this one we we know what happens here or do we because as it turns out it is not a teeny you can turn the page now leo is <laughs> not a teeny tiny baby in a teeny tiny prototype baby sized ship, but rather uh, some kind of full grown individual in a full blown space suit in a completely uh, finalized and finished full sized uh, space traveling ship. And uh, this guy, he, he it says he is nestled in his steel and plastic pod. Garel is a prime example of all that Krypton has become, all that has been lost. He studies the instruments arrayed before him and chokes back the fear that boils in his throat. Tradition holds that for a Kryptonian, leaving the embrace of the planet is a certain is a the planet is a certain death sentence. Only one thing could have coaxed Garel into the void, 
one thing to him an incentive greater even than the threat of agonizing death the promise of supreme power and he goes zoom and does his millennium falcon thing through space uh and we find ourselves on uh on earth clearly uh, it says this is the the country the countryside in 1768 um doesn't specify what countryside it is uh we are introduced to uh edward edward duke of albion uh we are given information that he was uh diagnosed with some kind of prostate cancer probably um he was given three years to live he's been alive for five uh and it's like you know he's he's thankful for every day and i'm like i don't know man if you're in that much dick pain on a daily basis like i feel like after year three you'd be like come on man just let me die but uh <laughs> that's just me that's just me um and as he's riding along on the coach with his his uh lovely new young wife they've been uh married for just a little over a year uh there is a scoundrel named the raven who uh looks uh a bit like a buccaneer zorro kind of thing going on uh but he is he is just a a real real piece of work as they say oh what a piece of work is man <laughs> and uh this guy is there to rob them and potentially hurt them kill them uh and you know not just taking their jewels and money or what have you but he uh he wants to uh see if uh the uh, the missus there is down to clown because he is a real shit heel yeah uh, and he is about to uh kill the the dude there the the duke because he's standing up to the raven and trying to protect uh his wife and the guy sticks his uh overpowered pea shooter in the in the duke's face and just as he's getting ready to pull the trigger there's just like this huge sort of like wormhole ish thing that that opens up from space and boom that gigantic adult-sized kryptonian ship smashes into the ground and uh that's when we see the space-suited individual crop up from the ship looking to me especially with the yellow sheen of it uh reminded me a little bit of marty mcfly in <laughs> yeah, the radiation yeah. <laughs> containment suit uh if he had Don't told me darth vader i was gonna say if he had told that dude his name was darth vader from the planet vulcan it wouldn't have phased me in the least bit um and uh you know the, the the raven shoots at him and he's like ah demon <laughs> and uh the this space suited individual like flies at him uh still only like five feet above the ground uh and in kryptonian says that i was right all the long months exposing myself to a radiation bath precisely matched to the light of this strange yellow sun it has made me powerful, more powerful than any son of Krypton ever dreamed he'd be. And every day I'm on this puny planet, I shall grow ever stronger, ever greater. And, uh, you know, the, he takes off his helmet 
And uh, the Duke is like, who, what are you? And in Kryptonian, Garel is just like, English, yes. I thought I recognized the words that fool spoke, <laughs> which is funny because like right at, on the heels of that, like he's speaking broken English. So he sounds foolish. He's like, who are you? Say you name. Edward, Duke of Albion. And you am Garel, last son of Krypton. But I have already decided you of Earth shall call me the Warlock Royal. I do think it's worth noting, too, that when he takes the spacesuit helmet off, uh, we see that he's... Uh, not like completely shorn bald you can see like stubble mm-hmm. cropping up from his scalp uh that would be because garel according to the mythos of superman that was set up in 1986 after crisis that was done in superman the man of steel issues one through six by written and drawn by john byrne who did this particular issue as well um kryptonians wore bio suits that extended their lifespans um and and made it so they didn't even like need to eat or sleep all that much and they would live to be like a thousand years old easy we, we ran into that in the uh last son of earth i think right mm-hmm. yes because jor-el and lara removed theirs in protest against what kryptonian society had become just stagnant and too sterile um, when you eliminate the possibility of all mistakes, then you eliminate the possibility for creativity and uh, and further learning more so you can expand past your your already previously set limitations. That's that's sort of the crux of it, you know, society, as it were. So funny because um, Vandal Savage never learned that. <laughs> Well, just because you're alive for a long time doesn't mean you learn anything, yeah, especially especially if hubris is involved. If you think you know more than everybody else, then who the fuck are you going to listen to? Your Honor, I'm just a caveman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it kind of reminds me of Phil Connors from Groundhog Day. It's like, maybe God yeah. isn't omniscient. Maybe he's just been around so long he knows everything. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, uh, totally off topic here. Uh, did you watch the latest episode of uh, Strange New World? I no, I know. I haven't seen any of Strange New World. Oh, I'm behind. Yeah. Um. From Taxi, the woman with the strange voice, Carol, Carol King. Yeah, yeah, she's in it, and she plays a character that apparently lives forever. Oh, and geez. uh, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, I'm, witch. I'm your wife. You never had it so good. <laughs> uh, she's the asked, bitch hit me with a toaster. <laughs> uh, she she was asked like you know uh, with such a long life you know what what's uh, uh, I forgot what the exact question was, but what have you experienced? And she says boredom, extreme boredom. She wants to have adventure. It's it's yeah, yeah it's it's a blast. You should definitely check it out. I'll ch- I'll check it out. I mean it, it's on my list. Uh, you know just. I I really have to finish Discovery and it's like really hard to finish Discovery, guys. I just it's getting hard, huh? It is. It's I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't know. Like not loving Discovery. Yeah. I I was I was I was really loving it, and then I mean, all right, it's fucking season four. So if anybody listening to this hasn't seen it, like this is on you at that point, not me. All right. <laughs> Um, so when they, 
when they traveled to the future, that was fine. But then when they started like doing everything with the burn and all that, I was like, oh god, I wish I cared about this. I really do. But it was just, it was not particularly enjoyable for me. Just saying that that's that's my bag. But re- regardless of all the strange new world shit, <laughs> um, back to Superman and Action Comics Annual Number Six. Um, so. What I was saying is uh, we see that Garel has some stubble because of the, the bio suit that he clearly had to shed uh, before he left Krypton. It was It's one of those things where um, earlier, you know, as he's leaving the planet, it, it said um, leaving the embrace of the planet, a cert- the planet is a certain death sentence. Um, that's because the the bio suits and, and everything, uh, it basically formed a link to the planet. Uh, and if if they left, it would be severed, and they would pr- pretty much wither. Um, so he and it probably allowed him to absorb that radiation, not being in the bio suit. Oh, of course, of course, yes, one hundred percent. So, but we're we're just seeing we're just seeing him get past that point where it's like all hermetically sealed individuals in these suits for you know centuries on end. Uh, but yeah, so he, he, he says to them, he's going to, he wants to be called the warlock Royal. Uh, and then it shows the, uh, the court of St. James in London where, uh, which is, uh, the palatial residence of, uh, King George the third or mad King George, as he's been known through history, uh, King of England and her empires across the sea, August, 1769. I did think that it was pretty cool that John Byrne here goes for some historical accuracy. Um, people are talking to King George, uh, and they're you know they're saying, "I don't, I don't like this. The, that you know this guy is a, clearly a witch, plain for everyone to see." And doesn't the Bible command, "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live"? Uh, to which King George the Third replies, "And I am saying this in the accent as written." Yeah, yeah, this is true, mine friend Bishop. But I wonder if you have perhaps invaded this witch can be killed. Somehow I think he will not at their stake be burning. King George III was a Hanoverian king, and uh, he was actually the first Hanoverian king to not be born in Germany. His entire family is German, though. He and then he married uh, an Austrian woman uh, that became that became his queen. Uh, but yeah, King King George the Third would have been a native German speaker, not not English. So this is actually historically historically accurate for uh, how he essentially would have been communicating. He probably would have had a stronger grasp on English than this, but but yeah, I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of that. Um, so it's not like Hamilton. Not at all. Nobody <laughs> okay. busts in the song in this one. I mean, there is some dancing, but mostly at the end of a rope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, that's that's when we see uh Garel kind of drop down. He's he's got uh I don't know if that's a wig or his hair, honestly, but it's the classic like blue black that we come to you know associate with Superman. Um, but very much looking like a short-haired, um, curled wig that they wore back in the 18th century in, in Britain and in the colonies. Uh, but he he says to the king, like, oh, 
You have nothing to fear from me. My power is greater than yours, but I'm fine to use that power in your service. I don't wish to disrupt the ways of your small world. I, you know, let it be said that I have come to help you maintain order. And that's when we uh, see uh, the uh, sort of precursor to a congressional Congress. And we have uh, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, a, a, a number of our forefathers in this country uh, gathered together in Pennsylvania uh, and in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, Benjamin Franklin says uh, in this, one of his famous quotes, uh, it seems we have but one choice, gentlemen. We can hang together or we can hang separately. Uh, meaning, you know, it's it's all for one or we're all going to we're all going to fucking die. Uh, so if they don't if they don't all work together, then everything that they've been doing is for naught. And uh, they're they're all arguing and saying, you know, there's uh there's all kinds of rumors about this warlock royal and you know there's been all kinds of threats at different different colonies colonizations all across the empire and franklin says you know like oh well you know they the other insurrections folded like a lady's parasol at the threat of the warlock ours is the first one to to find and and fill the voice of the American thought that's not a whisper but a shout. And uh, then, of course, we have no one shouts it louder than John Adams. It's like, all right, calm, calm down, Johnny boy there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's when uh, that's when they say, you know, why, if, if not for the family Adams, uh, the notion of American independence would still be nothing more than letters in a newspaper because that's uh, that was Benjamin Franklin's bag. You know, he was... He was a, a, a printer. He was a, he was a press man. And uh, as soon as he, he says that, <laughs> you get a then Mr. Adams. And we see the Warlock Royal open the doors to the to the building saying, when you all hang on Tilbury Hill, I'll make sh I'll make certain your fat neck is the first one stretched. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, God, you know. Order, order. If you have anything to say, Warlock, I suggest you do so with a civil tongue. You are not in England now. To which he responds, quite so. Then does a classic Christopher Reeve spin in the middle of the street of Metropolis move down into the sewers, only through the planks of the building, and says, perhaps that is a situation I should immediately rectify. And then lifts the building in its entirety up into the air and says from the outside, take your seats and be patient, gentlemen. You might as well enjoy your ride to the gallows and flies them all the way to Britain. Uh, and then the story jumps 211 years. And at that point, we, you know, the time this was written, that's that's modern day. Uh, we see that somebody is uh, is teaching a, a young guy in a, a blue jacket with uh, a blue not you know blue tie in, in, in his hair in uh, a red cravat, uh, being taught about the the final rebellion of the Crown Colony. Uh, we see the names of Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, uh, John Hancock, and John Adams, and. Um, he's like all the world now is a crown colony and the the guy in the blue jacket says 
because all the world lives in fear of the sovereign of my great great grandfather and that's when this uh this friggin ichabod crane looking dude says to him you should say that with you should say that with greater pride in your voice young master cow under the reign of the warlock royal we have had two centuries of total peace and uh it's like okay cow so this is basically superman this is our clark kent slash superman character here uh and he's saying you know i i feel a certain discontentment and sometimes in my deepest dreams i i seem to see a world like ours but but different uh, to say that I think was weird because there's like nothing to do with that at all in this story. We yeah, know like that we're from, we know we're reading an Elseworld. We don't need that in there, but you know, whatever, we'll let it fly. Um, but yeah, he's clearly bored during his studies. He doesn't agree with the way that history played out. Um, he just feels obviously like in his gut that there's just something off about it. Uh, and then uh, a friend of his who's clearly like some kind of like guard, some some kind of trooper, cop or militia, whatever, for the sovereign. Um, his name is Derek. Um, he comes in and grabs Cal from his lesson. He's like, let's go. Like We're going we're going to a raiding party at the, the Daily Planet, that stupid newspaper that keeps saying bad shit about the sovereign. I'm going to smash the presses. And, uh, you know, that's they get there and. Cal's talking with Derek and they're like, Oh, it's going to be great. Let's go bash some stuff. And we take a look inside and we see a bunch of these soldiers just, just molly whopping the hell out of all the equipment there. And uh, we see an older guy with, you know, long hair pulled back and tied in a, a brown bow, uh, you know, saying like, Hey, what do you, what do you think you're doing? And somebody cracks him in, in the frigging jaw with the butt of their gun. And uh, you know, they're telling him to, you know, keep a civil tongue and, you know, the truth that they claim to print, you know, it, it's, uh, it conflicts with the greater truth of the sovereign. And that's when, uh, uh, a young woman in a, in a crimson colored dress in a crimson choker, uh, says, you know, you guys suck. And that's what we're telling people. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's Lois Lane. It's clearly um, Lois Lane from the first panel <laughs> straight away, like without any doubt. Um, and, you know, she says, men like you wouldn't know the truth if it bit them. And then he's like, now, now, pretty one, it would be a shame to see, see harsh hemp mock that smooth white neck. Oh, yes. Nothing like threatening someone with hanging because you don't like what they're saying to you. Monsters. And, uh, you know, she knees him right in the huevos and uh, Cal, you know, he tell uh, Derek there tells his guards to grab her. But Cal steps in and he's like, no, no, leave, leave her alone. She didn't. She just protected herself. You were coming at her. Our business here is smashing presses, Derek, not not assaulting a lady's honor. Are you all right? And she's like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. And uh, you're the great, great grandson of the sovereign. So why don't you go uh, pound sand, blue jacket deuces? And uh, it turns out that that older guy uh, who got cracked in the jaw, his name is Peregrine, <laughs> uh, which means he is Perry White, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet as we know him. I thought for sure that they were going to – I personally would have called this guy Oliver, uh, not Derek, because my first thought when I saw him was that he was going to be like Oliver Queen. Hmm. You know, you get all I the green, you get the blonde hair. 
that's what I was wondering about. If he was another character from like the past or something like that of of uh, Superman, because I didn't recognize him. Not I didn't recognize him at all. I I I as far as I can tell, he was he was made for this, and that's fine. Not a problem. Not everything's going to line up a hundred percent. You know, and, and I don't think it should. There should always be some kind of weird variation. Well, they could have called him Jimmy because uh, isn't that Superman's pal? Well, there is a Jimmy. There, yeah. Oh, oh. glad that you read the material, Leo. Um, I, I, I just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm busting chops, dude. I'm busting chops. There's, there's three of these annuals, so I had to look for it. I'm like, oh crap, which one is it? So there's like another one, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's not that one. It's this one. So, yeah, I think um, they, they all have Mignola covers too. Yeah, I think the the jungle one has a Mignola cover too. Yeah, yeah and, and the other sure. one too with like the uh, the alien invasion. That's the two parter I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. And who knows about the Superboy one? Because I didn't even look at that one yet. But yeah, um, the Superboy on the cover on the the file that I was able to find, it, it's not on it. It's gone. I, so, but I I wouldn't be surprised if it was Mike Mignola who did that as well. Um, but uh, regardless, Derek is all pissy because, uh, you know, go he... Derek. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Derek. He's um, going Margo. Yes. Maximum. <laughs> Margo. I don't know. I don't know. Why is Derek. this carpet all wet, Todd? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, why is there lies? Why are there lies about our sovereign in, in the paper, Todd? I don't know, Margo. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, he's all pissy because Lois, uh, you know, fucking tried to jumpstart him in the family jewels with her knee. And uh, he takes it out on Peregrine and says, uh, it's the old man who will pay the price. You know, it. so he, he had, what is it? Uh, he has them taken, he has Peregrine taken to the stocks to give him 40 licks of the cat, which would be the cat of nine tails. And uh, Lois says, let him go. We can't take a whipping. You'll kill him. And then the very next panel is Derek holding uh, Peregrine's head up, eyes wide, mouth slack. And and uh, Derek saying, what a pity. It would seem the lass was right. <laughs> and uh and then he says, cut that down, soldier, and bury it somewhere. To which Lois replies, and rightfully so, monster! Because uh, that's pretty fucking inhuman. And Cal tries to cozy up. He's like, miss. And she's like, and you, you're both monsters. And fucking pops him right in the kisser. And he goes down like a ton of bricks. I mean, down goes Frazier. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Derek's like trying like ah you know fucking another bus comes every 15 minutes gal don't even worry about it he's like leave me alone Derek and uh you know he he goes in to speak to his great great grandfather and uh you know he's just saying you know hey you know Pappy <laughs> there's uh there's some stuff that just went down to the Daily Planet uh, a few days ago and I'm pretty sure you know about it but don't you think it's kind of messed up and uh garel's like yes i know i hear and see everything it's one of the greatest burdens of my power 
And uh, to which Cal replies, oh, is it a burden then that I was raised to believe you loved all of your subjects as though they were your children? One of those children was flogged to death for no greater crime than speaking his mind. And, uh, you know, that's when, of course, it turns into excuses like, oh, he was one voice in an increasing multitude. And, you know, this place was a, a backwater yokel fest when I showed up and I brought peace and imposed order. And, you know, Clark, Cal's just like, yeah, and there's no individual freedom. So uh, thanks for that. And uh, he's like, oh, you, you want liberty? That's a pretty word. And, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm I'm done debating with you you know your your uh your kryptonian blood is diluted and you're weak because of the the breed of this planet you know i took i took the wife of my benefactor when he died of cancer she had my son and then that son had a wife with an earthling female and she also died when he when that son was born and then but it says, but the son of that son was born to a mother who survived for his Kryptonian blood was that by then was weak. And so it was down to your father, Jor-El, no, was no stronger than the strongest human, no faster, no wiser. And you, Kal-El, are the most human of them all. It would break my heart should that humanity prove your undoing. Which I enjoy the juxtaposition of Superman's character in this, that he is the most human Kryptonian who's ever lived. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, and, and, you know, to, to look at the idea as we usually do in Superman comics, having it be um, sort of nurture versus nature. When you consider the way the Kryptonians were versus how Jonathan and Martha Kent raised Clark. Um, you can kind of see here that it's not, it's sort of playing the opposite end that it's, it's nature, that it's, it's his humanity. The, the, the underlying fact that he's far more human than Kryptonian that allows him to relate to the people of this planet more than most other people that have descended from this real piece of shit that fell from the sky. Uh, in, you know, he's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll be careful. I'll be careful. Grandfather. So my boss and just came up. I'll be careful, grandfather. And, uh, you know, that's when Cal goes, uh, to, you know, it's a year later. Um, and Cal's kind of walking around and he's looking for a man named L, uh, at a, at a local pub and, uh, the, the barmaid with uh, curly red hair who could very well be Lana Lang in all honesty. Uh, so uh, you've come to the wrong place, my lord. We all have names here, not letters. And he's like, "Please, can someone help me? I must find this this L." And uh, he goes out, and we just see silhouettes in the night as he leaves the pub. And uh, he gets uh, he gets jumped and uh, sacked, uh, knocked out, and then they we find him tied to a chair with people wearing uh, masks over their over their faces throw a bucket of water on him and uh they're like you know are you awake my lord awake enough to feel it when we slit your throat <laughs> and, and he's just like no i mean I, please i mean you no harm i only need to meet this man l it's vital that i speak with him and then uh we see someone say and what do you know about l 
and like here's the thing it's a comic book so obviously like from the silhouette like we can read it and it's like oh that that guy over there is saying what do you know about l but the very next panel the next page we see the orange glow of the lantern brought in the light flickering and it's lois the l is lois lane and he's like you you're the girl from the daily planet <laughs> yeah and you the princeling who fancies himself a protector of maiden's honor what do you know about anything <laughs> and uh he's like i've heard whispers that there's a rebellion rising and l is the leader and uh she says you know that sure uh that's pretty much true but why do you th like do you think we're so foolish that we'd take you to this person like you're the sovereign's like grandson that that's that's nuts and uh you know he, he replies like oh, I, I know it sounds it sounds crazy but if there were something i could do to convince if if only there was something i could do to convince you that i, I mean it you know all my life i've i've been troubled by the inequities of the society my grandfather's created and i dream of how the world could be if he didn't keep it in one spot and uh they're like yeah that's this that's a dream that that we share and He's like, then let me help you. Uh, my father spoke out about about you know my my grandfather's rule, and you all know that you know he you know he paid the price. And you know Lois is like, yes, his words cost him his life, but would you pay as great a price, Kal-el? And he's like, oh, you know, it's not really a heck of a choice, um, but you know, what am I going to do? I, I can't live with the world the way it is now. So yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, and so he goes off to he sets out to prove that he's on their side, brings him to an underground chamber um, by the dungeons in, in his grandfather's castle and uh, brings him to a large brings Lois to a large mechanical door. And uh, she's just like, how do we how do we open this? And that's when Cal says, oh, like this. And he says uh, something in Kryptonese. And uh, we get a chuck of the door. And uh, Lois is just like, what was that? He goes, oh, it's the Kryptonian word for open. My father taught me Kryptonian as his father did before him. And uh, <clears throat> we see this gigantic metallic chest that's semi-encased in cement. And Lois, uh, th there's a big lock on the front of it. Lois is saying, the rock is quite small, you said, but we're never going to be able to carry this box. You're sure, you're sure the rock can't hurt me? And he says, no, just Kryptonians. Why? And she's like, well, we'll have to take the rock out of the box then. I'm going to shoot the lock off. And he's like, what? But that could kill me. And she's like, yeah. And I thought you said you were ready to die for the cause. Why don't you prove it? And so he takes the gun himself and he shoots the lock off the box, opens it up, lasts like bottom third of the page the panel is the glowing green of kryptonite against the clothes and skin of kal-el as he kind of frowns in dismay as he tries to prepare himself for what the the racking pain of kryptonite would be for him and nothing happens you know lois is like oh you look fine to me he goes yeah and i feel i feel i feel fine uh i guess it's because i'm it's my human blood. I'm the 10th generation to be born on Earth. Kryptonite can no longer harm me. <laughs> Lois, ever the ray of sunshine, save the celebration. <laughs> so they go back to their crew and they uh, they show everyone the Kryptonium <laughs> that they found. 
And uh, Cal is just like, oh, can I meet L now? And Lois is like, yeah, sure. Just go through that door over there. He goes through a door and there's somebody in a robe and he's like, L. And then, yeah, Lois takes the hood down from the cloak and she's like, yep, it's me, L. It stands for Lois. Let's let, let's go now. <laughs> like, like, like no one saw that coming. I mean, granted, it it would have been it would have been something to have it be Luther, but yeah, yeah, that's know. what I thought. I wonder if that think, was the plan, you know, from the get go. Maybe, but I mean, Byrne could have just been leaning into full on subversion from from the word go on that. Um, but yeah, Cal goes to his grandfather's chambers, and uh, he's just like, you know, we we have to talk. I've come to ask you to let the people of Earth govern govern themselves. To which Garel says. Cal must have come to this. Those very words cost your father his life. Guards! Uh, to which Cal responds, No, grandfather, you're not going to have me executed as you did Jorel. If I am to die, it must be by your hand. And uh, we see a, a lot of um, Superman symbol clad guards with uh, muskets, essentially, rushing towards Garel's room. Um, and Cal proceeds to uh, speak to his grandfather saying, you know, are you prepared to listen to me? This is very well. I grant you four minutes, the time it took for your father to die at the end of a rope. Then that will have to be enough. Provided you truly listen to me, grandfather, you came to this world more than 200 years ago. Your powers made you master. You could have made the world a paradise. You chose instead to make it something else. A cold, cruel mirror of the faded, failed glory of Krypton. Oh, yes, I know all about Krypton. I know about the people, how they turned away from growth and life, sealed themselves in towers, giant towers to hold small souls. And, you know, he's just like, you brought it, it, you brought emptiness to Earth. You came to a world on the brink of exploration and technology, and you crushed it. You squeezed the life and will out of everyone on this world. And when someone dares speak against you, you kill them. Is this the legacy of Krypton? Is this the legacy of the family L? And uh, Garel, he's actually a little reticent. He's kind of seems to be hesitating. He's like, Kal-El, you know, like really taking in the weight of the words that were said. Uh, and uh, then we get a full splash of uh, Kal-El getting completely fucking bopped with a bullet in the side of his fucking dome piece through the window because the guards are sneaking up. And uh, oh. yeah, they they murked his ass. Yeah, his last word was "ung." <laughs> Actually, no, it was grandfather, I think. But um, yeah, they came in, and and Garel was like, "No, you fools!" And he burns the guards alive with his heat vision. Yeah, it, it is worth noting at this point too. Like two hundred years later, uh, Garel he's still like in ridiculously like jacked, like fucking Henry Cavill Superman esque shape. Um, but he's got it looks long, like Magneto with that long hair. <laughs> yeah, long white hair, which funny enough is actually how Superman ends up looking um far into the future in John Burns uh full on Elseworld Superman Batman generations. Um but yeah he's holding Kal-El in his arms as as Kal-El's dying and and Kal-El's just like grandfather and then croaks and uh the guards are like we're sorry we we acted as we felt best and he said i know here take this foolish boy and bury him and they said he did not harm you majesty 
He said, of course not. Nothing can harm me. Oh, look, he has something in his pocket. What? And they, it's the box with the kryptonite in it. And they open it up from, you know, about, what, 10 feet, maybe? No, maybe six feet behind Garel. And the green glow hits the, his skin. And he, he screams like, ah! And he's like, the box, close the box. And uh, he swipes the, the lead line box containing the kryptonite. And he, he, he looks and he goes, he brought the kryptonite with him, but he didn't use it. Get out, all of you. And uh, that's when he grabs Kal-El's body. And uh, he said, you know, perhaps you were right. You were more human than your ancestors. Perhaps you understood this world better than any of them, better than I ever could. You could have killed me, but you chose to reason with me. And you were right. I rule this world only because the people fear me. The peace I have imposed is that of the grave. The time has come to put an end to such things. And for you, grandson, a burial worthy of the last son of Krypton, at the heart of the blazing sun of this world. And for me, the boundless realms of space to search for some small hope of greater happiness. And uh, with that, clearly the sovereign leaves earth and uh, we see a bit of mild revelry uh, in a local pub. And uh, that's when we see the uh, Jimmy Olsen-esque type character come in at the end there, green suit, reddish hair. Um, and that's, you know, they're just like, you know, did you hear the news? Yes, we've all heard it. The sovereign's gone. The world is ours. Woohoo! You know, and, and it's just like, yeah, the future belongs to us now, patriots. So let's make it a great future, a future worthy of the brave young man who, who bought it for us with his life. Uh, and, and yeah, that's uh, that's Superman <laughs> uh, in action comics, annual number six. Um, I, there is a, a secondary story in it. I didn't really plan on covering it. It's yeah, I don't blame you. It's <laughs> really silly and means nothing. Um, really, really, if you feel so inclined, everybody, <laughs> for all three of you who are listening to this, um, you know, check it out. It's a, it's a, it's called Doomsday for the Fifth Dimension. It's like Superman lands in the fifth dimension where Mr. Mixia Spitlick and the other imps live. Uh, only like Superman being who he is, like he comes out fully clothed as Superman and an adult and whatever. I don't know. It's weird. What Brandon um, just said is more discussion than the story deserves. Yep, it doesn't pretty much. make sense. And reading it was painful. So I it's will, not that it's bad. It's just really hard to pay attention and read. <laughs> I will I will say one of the things I did like about it altogether, like one of the few things I liked is Superman in the story uh, in the you know the doomsday for the fifth dimension, he speaks Kryptonian. But when he's speaking Kryptonian, it's actually written in such a way that you can read it as English. So, like, when he touches down and, like, the ship opens up, they're like, ah, it's a monster. And it's written in Kryptonian, quote Kryptonian. But it's very clear. You can tell he's saying greetings <laughs> as he cracks open the ship that goes crack a doom. And, like, when he accidentally, when he's walking, he says in Kryptonian, he's like, hello. And uh, he gets to a door in a tree, and he's like, is anybody home? Oops. And rips the whole tree out of the ground. And 
you know, I just I thought that was that was pretty it was pretty interesting. I've never really seen that done. You didn't did you read this, Leo? I, I, I did. And you know, we could say, you know, on second thoughts, let us not go to the fifth uh, dimension. It's it it is a silly place. It is it is a, it is a rather silly place. <laughs> Knights of the round table. Sorry. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Now go away before I taunt you a second time. Um, but yeah, like I, I thought it was, if you look right there, it was like crack of doom where you see him speaking. You can see it says greetings. No. Yeah. No, I no, see it. I, yeah. I, I see okay. It. okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, please tell me you guys see that. Cause otherwise some weird shit is happening with my brain right now. And I might need to see a doctor. Um, Do you smell burnt toast? always <laughs> that might be part of my problem um but yeah i i mean i thought this was i thought this was an interesting story um you know it's 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 one of the things that they've said for years in the comic books is that superman uh would actually have a very difficult time trying to have children uh with like Lois, like, you know, somebody from earth because we're two completely different species. It, it, it just wouldn't quite work. Um, and maybe even if it did, uh, whatever children they produce, it would, would probably be like infertile, you know, it's sort of like when, when you make like a liger, you know, it's like, Oh, that's great. But you know, they can't, they can't produce offspring. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I dig on the idea, honestly, that uh, he would, you know, any Kryptonian would try to start a life and family. Um, 100%, though, if a, a woman were to get impregnated by a Kryptonian man, uh, the, the inherent danger would definitely be that that child would already be developing their powers from conception. And uh, it, there's actually an Armageddon 2001 uh, Superman annual that covers uh, a reality where Lois was actually able to take fertility drugs and get pregnant. And as Superman's like out and about doing his thing in Metropolis or whatever, uh, the baby kicks and it's super strength developed and it kicks so hard that it causes internal bleeding in Lois. And he loses both Lois and the baby and he, uh, he just becomes like despondent and he's like, yeah, I, I actually just don't like care about anything anymore. And instead of like going and hanging out in the fortress of solitude, like in kingdom come or anything, he actually leaves the planet. He's like, there's like nothing here for me anymore. I am, I am good. And uh, he actually like meets Maxima out in space and she's like, yeah, you and me, let's, Let's uh let's get together because uh, my my people are all about you know up in the gene pool and you seem like a pretty strong dude so yeah because that is that it was always Maxima's thing before she was like an antihero in, in Justice League and stuff uh, she was a villain and she was basically always showing up to be like Superman marry me and and let's make some kids they'll be the royal family of uh, Almarac it'll be fucking great and he's like yeah no that's Almarac or Melmac. 
it, it was all Marek. I can I can safely say that. Um, but I mean that is one of the cool things about Maxima as a character, like her her lineage. She's she's royalty on Almarac, but they've they've married into powerful, like physically, genetically powerful families from different worlds and stuff like that to uh, increase the hardiness of their own uh, royalties uh, genetic stock. And that's why Maxima has like the abilities and stuff that she does is from generations of, of that selective breeding. So it's an interesting way to look at it. At least they weren't marrying cousins and fucking like a bunch of overseas hicks wear crowns. But um, yeah, like uh, this, this whole thing with a uh, Kryptonian touching down and then having a lineage uh, while working with the fact that like, like the, the craziest part to me is that Garrel shows up there, a scientist who, built his own ship to get off of Krypton, figured out that he could douse his cells in yellow solar radiation to increase the likelihood of him having all these powers when he touches down on this planet. Uh, and like, that's great for insofar as like him stepping in and you know, Oh, I, I want to run everything, but he literally did nothing with Kryptonian technology. On this planet, yep, nothing. Not even, not even like electricity. <clears throat> yeah, and like to me, that is baffling. Uh, to come from such a, a scientific and technocratic society and not utilize any portion of that, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't jive. Like. That's the one thing when they got to the future. I'm like, at the very least, I could see stuff in his castle. Yeah, I was thinking even where the box is, there was no electricity. Like, he had the door, but there there must have been something because he spoke and it opened. So yeah. we didn't we didn't get to see anything like with that. But even then, when they get inside, I mean, the fucking box is locked with, like, a an old, like, con- colonial-looking lock. Yeah. You know, like something that you would just use like a big old goofy cartoon looking key to undo, you know? You figure it was probably 200 years old or something. Maybe. Um, well, but you, you would think that maybe uh, Byrne did that to kind of like uh, reiterate like, you know, the innovation was stifled. Yeah, that... Like Garel, I mean, I can understand, like maybe from a strategic tam- standpoint, like Garel kept them in sort of like a luddite state mm-hmm. to more easily control them. I totally get that. My thing, like I said, is like I just don't understand why he didn't have anything in his own personal abode, his chambers, like, like stuff that would be voice command for him. Like he would speak Kryptonian to it. Nobody else would be able to like operate it except him or somebody of the L line, you know, sort of the same thing that Cal did with speaking Kryptonian at the door. Um, I, I just feel like, and that would be like part of in smartly that would play into the, the fear of him outside of that palace as well, because like people who work there, 
they wouldn't necessarily live there. You know, there would be people who come and go and people talk, you know, they'd be like, you should see the inside of this place. It is fucking like, it is insane. Like even without powers, I don't know that you want to fuck with this guy, you know, it, it just like, it's, it strikes me as odd. Like, it, it, and even with his powers, like he wants to keep tabs on the entire world. How's he doing that without any tech? I mean, Kryptonians are powerful, but like, they're not that powerful. Yeah, and if he is keeping track of, you know, the entire world, he would have heard, you know, the goings on of, you know, trying to get to Kryptonite. Yeah, yeah that, that was the thing I wasn't sure about because he, he clearly would have heard him speak it, you know? Possibly, but at the same time, like, he's just so self-involved, you know, it, he doesn't even really clearly care about his grandson up until a certain point. You know, it was just he nothinged him. So... It just wasn't really a presence that he uh, he really was attentive to, um, but yeah, it's it, it's it's certainly interesting. We we've seen <clears throat> we've covered a couple different stories, one in which a Kryptonian touches down and almost immediately starts to change the world with Kryptonian technology, uh, and we see how the corruption of Krypton was easily transferred to Terran society. And that is another book written by John Byrne and totally illustrated by Mike Mignola. Uh, so to come to this and have it be sort of like the same thing, but set hundreds of years before that point, and say like, okay, yeah. So it's it's Jor-El's grandfather this time who touches down, and it's seventeen seventy six, and this is what he does. Like completely different approach altogether. Like, oh, I'm not sharing anything with you. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to keep you right where you are. And, you know, that's fine. But it, the, even if it's not his whole fucking castle, like I think it would have been an interesting play on like the Fortress of Solitude if those dungeons that they had talked about at the bottom yeah. of the castle, that had been like where you saw all the, the Kryptonian tech that Garel had been using and set up over the, over the centuries that, that to me would have made the most sense. Also, I feel like dude probably would have set up like some pretty dope ass, like solar panel type shit to like shoot fucking solar energy down to him. Like yeah. keep himself bathed constantly. I could have seen the technology aspect come in with Luther. Like if you brought him in as a character, I, I feel like anything that I say is going to be like nitpicky and all that too, because I, I think like in general, this is a pretty solid story for what they have. Oh yeah. 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 It, it absolutely is. I mean, it's more about, um, it's more about delving into like the in, indomitable, will of the people to be free yeah. um yeah, it's definitely you know, a character piece yeah it, it doesn't focus on knockdown drag out fights and big explosions and superpowers really it's uh it's a very human story of a guy named kal-el you know that i mean what if you'd call it a morality play you know a bit i yeah. I, I guess you could i guess you could say that um, I mean, it certainly seems like Garrel is, if, if not outright learned his lesson, it's certainly given him an awful lot to uh, ponder. 
I I am curious. Like he goes off into space. Like he just flies off into space. Like uh, okay, man. What uh, what happens when you need to breathe <laughs> or the solar solar like energy in your cells is depleted? Good luck in the vacuum of space, dude. He's kind of become the Silver Surfer at that point, right? <laughs> He's just wandering the galaxy, <laughs> right? Putting right things that once went wrong, hoping that each sleep. Nope, nope. That's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> nope, wrong thing. Why haven't I leaped yet, Al? Sam. <laughs> it says you gotta colonize the. <laughs> you gotta smash the presses. Why do you keep? You gotta sleep with her, Sam. You gotta sleep with her. That's my mom. <laughs> Lord Albion. Oh. <laughs> Your name's Calvin Klein, uh, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, there's, 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 there's a decent story here. I mean, really, and mm-hmm. the the imagery and and feeding into some of the things we do know from history, uh, in so far as like you know the the forefathers getting together in in philadelphia and everything um but it's just so it's so crazy i mean we do see that they have cars and like there there's trucks with the big superman s on the side his building uh, is very futuristic which building is that the orange uh yeah that that looks futuristic Fair enough. I want. Hmm. It's kind of an Art Deco sort of style. Looks like it's. Is it it lit? Is it being having light shine? I'm only asking because like the orange is indicative of that same color. Orange was indicative of uh, that lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like there's it's certainly a, a large spire. But it's it still looks like it it took a it, it doesn't look uh, otherworldly per se. Like I don't see I don't see a lot of tech, nothing like what we we've grown accustomed to seeing in regards to or in relation to uh, Krypton, whether it's on that planet itself oh, there's, or yeah, there's the truck. I I think they go out of their way to make it look like it's it's like this, like uh like things have not really progressed and everything's very yeah. analog. Yeah, the clothing, the hairstyles, mm-hmm. everything stays the same. Fucking fascist, man. Yeah, it never goes out of style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fascism is the gift that keeps on giving. Crepes. But yeah, uh I I I mean there's there's very little uh that I've seen John Byrne do with the Superman character that I haven't found to be um, at the very least good in, uh, of course, going up to the scale of, of excellent. Um, yeah, this was, this was one of, I think one of the first uh, Elseworld annuals I bought when they first came out um, because I wasn't a, I wasn't a, an issue flipper in the store. Because I didn't want, I was like, I didn't want to ruin an issue for somebody else that need, might need to come in. Like, I didn't want to, especially if there was only a couple left. I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I'm gonna grab the one behind. That sucks. Like, whoever gets that last one, man, congratulations, you have everybody else's fingerprints now. Yep. Um, but uh, 
yeah, I mean, I saw this cover and I was I was intrigued, intrigued enough to like give it the quick flip through, and I was like, oh hey, I know this. Like, I wasn't fully aware at that point to be able to say like, oh, this is the same, like this is the same artist who did this, but I recognized it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, like looking on the inside, my brain just didn't make the association that it was the same guy who did Man of Steel. You got to remember, this was '94. I was 12. You know, I'm. I'm lucky I could remember where my fucking sneakers were half the time. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like there's, I think there's f- few people uh, who, who had a, a, as firm a grasp on the mythos of this character and the character itself uh, as, as John Byrne in the, the modern era um, starting in the modern era, I should say, you know, to, to have it, come to be able to tell stories like this based off stuff that he had set up in 1986 from Alan Moore's ending it with whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, This, this, this is a solid foundation going right back to 1986 um, before we got any of the uh, Mark Wade birthright or Jeff John secret origin uh, stuff thrown in. So, this is very much in that window uh, from like 86 to what, two, 2000, 2001, I'd say, where it was all the same Superman from post-crisis on. Mm-hmm. Like, the story we saw in that first miniseries was, was, at, was the, the, the springboard for everything. How Lex Luthor was moving forward. Like that is probably one of the most sweeping changes is that John Byrne did was he took Lex Luthor and turned him into a brilliant, ruthless, genius billionaire, criminal genius billionaire, um, instead of just being like a joke. Like a crazy guy in a green suit. Yeah. Um, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Bezos. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's probably one of the, the most lasting changes made by anyone to the Superman mythos in the past 40 years, 40 to 50 years. Uh, you know, in, in, in not for nothing, the, the show Smallville for everything that they maybe missed the mark on. Uh, casting Michael Rosenbaum and allowing him to play Lex the way he did against and alongside John Glover's Lionel Luther, who was created for that show, um, was that was one of the best decisions they could have made. Yeah. Because that Lex Luthor felt right in line with the Luther that we had been getting in the comics for 20 years at that point. And uh I think that's part of the reason why when we saw like Batman v Superman, uh, a lot of us, when we saw that particular iteration of Lex Luthor, were scratching our heads more than a little bit. Cause it's like, this feels like, like three steps back. Why are we, why are we doing like this guy is a pair of glasses and a stack of papers being pushed out of his hand onto the floor and nobody stops to help him away from being 
a zany supervillain. Like, yep, I'm good. I'm all set. You know, we we need to have we need to have some of this. It doesn't need to be fucking grim, dark, and like super serial, but it does need to be taken a bit seriously. Um, and the consideration given to characterization in this story, uh, and pri- the prioritization of of character over uh anything bombastic is is really saying something i i you know hats off to to john Byrne for saying like i want to tell a story i don't i don't want to i don't want to throw tights on anyone and have them go biff bang boom like let's make this a personal thing point too you know i mean yeah you talk about someone who's been around since the mid to late 70s and i mean he's one of the most prolific creators of of my lifetime has been john Byrne. You know, and I remember him going back to the X-Men where he did the Dark Phoenix saga. He did the artwork for that. I, my first Fantastic Four comics were John Byrne. You know, and then everything else in between. Yeah, I mean, X-Men, like as a kid, I, re- I remember um, like once I finally realized who he was, I was like, oh, my God, like X-Men, Fantastic Four, Superman and She-Hulk. You know, and talk about like wildly disparate books. Those are not all the same character by any stretch of the imagination. Very different things happening in all of those. Um, it and he lean. It's funny enough because with doing Superman and having done the Fantastic Four, he actually leaned more into the the fun family aspect of Fantastic Four. And he didn't lean into the the more, for lack of a better term, goofy parts of Superman. He really kept it on the straight and narrow. He didn't make him humorless. He didn't make him like a, a wet blanket. But he he still was taking him seriously enough. Like no no no. Like we we work really hard to get rid of super ventriloquism. So let's keep <laughs> let's let's keep on that fucking line. You know. Um. But this, yeah, this is this is a, a one of the annuals I really like. A couple of them do jump into like historical points like this. I think um, one of the ones we'll do in the future. It it's uh, Steel, John Henry Irons, and um, I think it's actually he ends up being the story of John Henry. But oh, he interesting. Is, yeah, but it re- but it is Steel. Like it is John Henry Irons. Like he's brilliant and he figures out how to do all this stuff. Like it's it's a it's a an interesting play on it. I think um, I read that one. Yeah. But yeah, these annuals were a lot of fun because uh you, you know, you didn't have to worry about getting like prestige format. You you got like freaking like 24 of them in like one year. Um which for DC and Elseworlds that was that's saying something. They didn't have a regular series like like Marvel did with what ifs. Yeah. You know, and, and this, this was a good one. I, I think it was. I think it was executed well. There's fewer things, like, if I look at it, like, how we look at these, there's fewer things to pick apart. You can pick things apart in this one, but it's not even like like the, the last one we did where we're like, oh, my God, you know, just going at it. Like, what is up with this, you know, uh, <laughs> amalgam tale of woe? Yeah. You know, so real. it's like this was a breath of fresh air. And, and I liked it. I, I liked the way it looked because of the John Byrne art. I liked the way his story was set up. The characters were developed. And he does things. Like, 
you're used to the way he does things because you've seen it for so long. So like John Byrne will exposition dump in a character speech, but you're mm-hmm. used to that. You're accustomed to it. So it was like comfort food of a, of a, a comic book, the way he uh, presents a story. Yeah, I, I can totally agree with that. Um, I will say too, I feel like he really was when with Garel, when he shows up in Philadelphia, I feel like he was invoking, uh, christopher reeve in that sequence when he spins and goes down through the floor to <laughs> yeah. look i like when i was reading it i read it heard it and saw it as christopher reeve walking in and being this magnificent douchebag <laughs> and like i f- i feel like more so than a lot of other times I've seen John Byrne draw Superman. He has like a Reeve esque look to him with this like uh, you know wig and scarf shit going on. <laughs> but yeah, I I did appreciate too that even with um, Darrell showing up and looking like that, when you when we see Cal, um, he doesn't actually look the way that superman usually does like his face is a bit thinner it's not even that he's younger he's just not as hardy as we're used to seeing clark kent slash kal-el um so i I thought that was an interesting choice to really like play you know play on the fact that like yeah he's mostly human so he's not he's not gonna be all bulked out and, and everything he's he's uh he's a bit more slight his jaw isn't quite as broad as his great grandfather's yeah he he looks like superboy there a little bit yeah but he's not like that young you know so i i i i can appreciate it he he tried to he tried to differentiate the the look a little bit um lois is still lois though no matter what but yeah, like uh, especially when you see him looking in dismay at the glowing green rock in the box he thinks is going to kill him. It's like, oh, maybe I maybe I turn that frown upside down. Okay, that was that was like the seminal moment in this thing where you get the idea of who he is, and it was just like, oh, and the fact that he had that impact on him by just doing that sort of act of non-aggression where he had that in his possession the whole time. I thought that was just such a, a poignant moment. I'm, I'm glad that um, I'm glad too, that he, uh, he actually like did finally, unfortunately through the death of, of, of Kal-El, he finally was able to really pay attention to the words that Kellel was was saying, you know, not just hear them, but listen. And he's like, "Shit, the kid had a point." And uh, you know, how how bad is it that I was ready to like throw this kid to the wolves, even though he's like my last living descendant because he disagreed with me. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, at least at least Garel seems to be able to hopefully learn a lesson from it. Homelander, <laughs> good luck to you. Well, I have to say about that. If you win, your Nazi girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's that's uh, Superman in Action Comics Annual Number Six Elseworlds, written and illustrated by 
John Byrne and with a cover by Mike McNola and colored by someone whose name is all the way at the end, uh, Glenn Whitmore. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was done well. So, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how what they're going to do at some point for collecting all of these Elseworlds annuals. They really should, considering that they've started collecting them based on Justice League slash individual characters like Superman and Batman. Um, I think I think these these are are worth getting together. You can kind of do like an Elseworlds esque annual. You could do like a Volume One, Volume Two thing because they did Elseworlds, and then they also did another thing which is sort of Elseworlds esque called Legends of the Dead Earth that um showed like you know centuries down the line the legacy of of some of these characters and how it affects like earth or different planets that may have been colonized the superboy ends up becoming like the whole story ends up becoming like uh an avatar for uh one of the like old incan or mayan gods um quetzalcoatl uh it's like you know just different stuff yeah, it's uh the these are you know those are but those are definitely like skewed like alternate takes on some of this stuff and you know if you can get those annuals bunched together DC I mean there you go it goes right in there with that same line that you've already started to set up as a collection but what the fuck do I know I'm just guy that's been reading it since you know forever ago cool no, I'm glad you found these because I I would have thought this would have been in the Superman Elseworlds trade paperback but it's probably not nope none of them are none of the annuals are i i actually i checked because uh i i have them too and uh yeah much to my chagrin you know the but there's there's all there's there's all kinds of different ones too i mean you got you have a couple different superman ones but that makes sense because there were at that point four different superman titles superman superman action comics Superman, the Man of Steel, and Adventures of Superman. And there was an, a fifth book briefly in the 90s that was, I think, bi-monthly called Superman, the Man of Tomorrow. So at oh, one point, okay. there were five different Superman books coming out on a regular basis. You know, so, like, that's bananas. Oh, so we'll is, have this, to... is this Action Comics, then, uh, annual number six? Yes, is action. It's Superman in Action Comics Annual Number Six. Oh, look at this! So I'm looking at Superman: The Man of Steel Annual Number Three, and Mike Mignola does the cover for it. And funny enough, it looks an awful lot like Superman Twenty Three. Might be a little different, but the cover certainly makes me think of Superman Number Twenty Three. Just saying. So uh, later in the book, we have an ad for the uh, what you can subscribe to. And uh, during this time, you can subscribe uh, for Superman, Action Comics, Adventures of Superman, um, Superboy, Superman, Superman, Man of Steel. Wow. And I think that is it. For At that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point in time, for sure. I'm, I'm saying like in the 90s, there was oh, yeah. a, a it was brief. Man of Tomorrow did not last very long. Um, but yeah, like I think uh, in 
one of these annuals is like the Leatherwing story. I think it's Detective Comics, um, where Batman is like a pirate, like kind of like Black. Oh yeah, it's right. Yep, uh, Detective Comics annual number seven. There's right here. Share screen. What is what is happening here? Mm -hmm. Oh damn it! Window. There we go. Oh, I hate this. New new computers. Oh, there was steel at the same time also. Oh. Wait, hold on. Wow. Are we, are we both trying to... Deadpool? <laughs> are we both... Can you, can you guys see anything? No? Nope. No. What the hell? I don't understand. I'm so confused by this. Stop sharing. That doesn't make... Uh, it's, it's the first time I've tried sharing anything with with this new computer so i apologize window entire screen oh that's probably why there we go yeah nice detective comics number seven uh, annual number seven yeah so that's that's leather wing in uh yeah w steel you said you looked yep. at that yeah steel was also listed oh you know what Oh, stealing. Oh, I was gonna say. Do I, I'm like looking. I'm like, where the hell's the annual? I have to reorder these because they are. <laughs> that should be in more alphabetical order than that. But then again, actually, it was like this when I downloaded, so they're probably in the order that they were released. That would make sense. Yeah, actually. and and quite frankly, there was only five Batman books at that time. <laughs> only uh, Batman, Batman Adventures. Um, Batman Legend of Dark Knight, Batman Shadow of the Bat. Uh, what am I missing? Oh, and Robin, Detective, probably Detective Robin. Comics. Uh, I'm not seeing Robin. Yeah, this, this was uh, before Tim Drake then. Oh, oh, yep, Robin. Yep, I see Robin. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yes. So six, six uh, Batman stories. All right. Well, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get enough of those. Yeah. So it, it is like a, it, it is sort of a reimagining steel uh, is sort of a reimagining of the, um, the folk legend of John Henry. Uh, so that, that's, that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, and uh, oh, cool, a Lobo annual. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, but yeah, so that that pretty much does it. Does it for that? Obviously, I mean, clearly through the discussion we had, you guys, you guys seem to uh, to like this one. Yeah, yeah, it was a good story. Excellent, excellent. I'm glad. Um, I'll have to figure out what the hell we're gonna read next. I, I think we'll probably lean into something non DC. Um. But yeah, that's that's it, man. Uh, you know, lots of lots of fun stuff with these annuals. We'll be we'll be diving into those and some other Elseworlds proper, like the prestige format stuff. I, I do have plans on getting some of the bigger things in, in that realm sooner rather than later. Um, we also have plenty of you know story arcs that we we are trying to uh, finagle because some of the stuff is uh, can be lengthy and they deserve to be talked about in more than just like a single uh, session. You know, there's certain things we can break down into chunks, but um, 
Otherwise, thank you everybody for listening to Comics Paradox today. We really appreciate it. Uh, my name is is Powerful Brandon. You can you can check me out uh, in any number of places. Come on, uh, check out the Facebook book Power Facebook group Powers Combined. Uh, um, you can find Comics Paradox podcast uh, on Instagram at Comics C O M I X Paradox Podcast, uh, and uh, they. You know, you can find me Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Midweek Geeks here on the Dorkening Podcast Network. Um, and uh, this right here, along with any of those other fine shows that we have at the Dorkening, 40 plus from what I'm given to understand, and if I do understand numbers correctly, uh, and you can find most of those uh, wherever fine podcasts are broadcast. Let's uh let's hand it over to a couple of these guys here so they can give their valediction. Mr. Justin Coop Cooper. Tell us what's hey up. Everybody, I am Justin Cooper from the Epic Tales from the Sewers ATMNT podcast. So it uh, covers everything TMNT. We cover the comic stories and we'll actually read them out so you can listen to them and enjoy. And uh, we interview turtles and turtles adjacent people. So that's uh that's a fun thing. And um, otherwise, you can check me out on uh, my other podcast, a music podcast called Generation Playlist, where we go through and discuss uh, kind of either a group or maybe a genre of music. Like we did, uh, we did Prince, we did Nirvana, we did uh, Outlaw Country. So you can check those out at Generation Playlist. Nice. And Mr. Leo Pond. Yeah, uh, well, you, you know, just Google me. You'll find a bunch of stuff. Uh, I run a Dorkening podcast network. Head on over to thedorkening.com. You can learn more about it there. And I do multiple shows throughout the week along with these multiple, sorry, along with these fine gentlemen, uh, multiple fine gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, you can <laughs> find me uh, also on uh, The Dork Night where we talk about everything Batman uh, and here, Comics Paradox. Also, Splash Pages on Tuesdays midweek geeks and still token with and uh yeah i i think that's it for now <laughs> for now <laughs> yeah leo's like mastercard he's everywhere you want to be <laughs> but, but yes uh thank you everyone and we will catch you on the flip-flop bye everybody bye <laughs>